0: Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep, into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it before we get started today though this is a quick reminder that we are launching our go big to give big membership if you are looking to get around people that are more excited about talking about the impact they are making in this world more than the cars they are buying then you're going to want to go check out go big to give to get more information and join the most philanthropic group of entrepreneurs out there now back to the show all right. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, the legendary sales expert and co-author of the international best-selling series, The Go-Giver, Bob Burke. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This is going to be an exciting one.
1: Oh, Randy, just great to be with you. I've been looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, this is going to be good. We're going to break down a little bit about what giving means and talk about it in a little bit of a different context than I'm normally talking to my guests on the show. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But to start with, I'd love for you to share a little bit about, you know, what is a go-giver? And what brought you to want to write this parable around it?
1: Yeah, a go-giver is simply someone who understands that shifting their focus, and this is really where it all begins, shifting their focus from getting to giving. Now, when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a more fulfilling way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. And not for any kind of way out there, woo woo, magical, mystical type of reasons. Oh, just give and be, no. It actually makes very rational, very logical sense. When you're that person who can take your focus off of yourself and instead place it on serving others, discovering their needs, their wants, their desires, helping them to overcome their challenges and problems, helping move them closer to happiness, People feel good about that. Well, they feel great about you. They want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in relationship with you. They want to do business with you. They want to tell the world about you. So that's, you know, that's the premise of the story. And I love that. And we're going to get
0: so deep into it because that is a philosophy that's just been ingrained with me from when I was a young child. My parents ingrained that into me of something Mm -hmm. as simple as holding the door for somebody makes them feel like you're actually care and and they want to support you as simple as that. And we're going to get deeper into that. But what made you choose a parable? I mean, you know, The Richest Man in Babylon, something that I read that really inspired me. And then I read your book. Yeah. And then I read your book and it was the same thing. And they're very captivating to me. I find them easier to
1: read, more relatable. So what made you want to choose to go down that route? Yeah. In fact, The Richest Man in Babylon by James Klassen. And if you recall in The Go-Giver, the company that Joe worked for was Klassen Hill. Mm. So uh, That was after James Klassen. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. John David Mann was my co-author and he was really the lead writer, the storyteller. And so, yeah, that was one of our favorite books as well. So, yeah, years ago, I had a a book out called Endless Referrals and the subtitle was Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. This was in the mid 90s. And it was a book on uh, really where it showed People who were, they were entrepreneurs, they were salespeople, they knew they had a great product or service, it brought lots of value to others, but they didn't necessarily feel comfortable going out into their communities and developing the kinds of relationships that would cause people to want to do business with them directly and or refer them to others. So Endless Referrals was sort of my system for doing that. And that was a traditional how-to book. And I always thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could take the basic premise of endless referrals which was all things being equal people will do business with and refer business to those people they know like and trust and turn that into a story because parables of you know are just you know they're stories so they connect on a much deeper level i think and i always enjoyed reading richest man in babylon was one of the first i ever read so Years later, I was writing for a magazine, a monthly column, and, and the editor-in-chief was a guy by the name of John David Mann. And even back then, he had an amazing reputation as a brilliant, brilliant writer. And, you know, I, I kind of had this idea, this sort of half-baked idea on how to, you know, take the the basic no like, and trust premise, put it in the storyboard. Uh, but I knew John could just make this thing sing and so I took (laughs) this idea to him and actually what happened was he wasn't he didn't jump on it at first because he was very busy you know anyway at the time but he and his then fiance now wife Anna they were in Tampa Florida visiting her mom and I live in Jupiter Florida across the state so they actually drove four hours across the state we had about a three-hour dinner and just talked about the book and what it would be like and it still took a few weeks and finally he called me and he said you know I think we got something here let's do it and And that was kind of how that started. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, again, because of John's great writing, it only took us really a few months to write the story, write the book. But we went through 24 rejections from publishers (laughs) or the 25th said yes. And of course, they turned out to be a great publishing partner. And so, you know, we all lived happily ever after. That's half the story is getting all the no's to get to the yes. (laughs) So that's that's beautiful.
0: (laughs) When we first started chatting, you brought something to my attention that I really loved. And it was the difference between giving and giving back. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. have a very interesting distinction between them. So I'd love for you to start there and break that down a little bit of the difference between what you believe to be the difference between
1: giving and giving back. So over the last, I'd say, 15 or 20 years, the term giving back has become a euphemism of sorts for charity, for community involvement, for mentoring, for doing things for others. Now, first, we love all that. You know, yep. they believe that very much. Yep. We would not consider that to be giving back, however. And I think the term itself is really a, a misnomer. While it seems to come from a place of abundance, I think it comes a little bit from a, a place of scarcity or not understanding basic free market economics. And, and, and let me explain why. To give back means you had to have first taken something. right? right. I mean, you can only give back something that you took, or even yeah. if we want to look at it more benevolently, something you received first. Yep. And if you've operated a business and made a lot of money with that business through providing immense value to others, value that others have willingly chosen to pay you for, and have had their lives made better because of it. Whether it's something as simple as buying a $1 item or a million dollar, you know, whatever it happens to be, okay? If you've done that, you didn't take from anyone. So there's nothing to give back. Now, someone might say, wait a second, though. I mean, you know, in your community, people, you know, gave you a lot of money that you... Well, no, they exchanged their money, for value that you were offering that they willingly chose. They wanted more than the money. Everybody came. In fact, in any free market-based exchange, when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to do business with anyone else. In any free market-based exchange, there should always be at least two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, because each of them came away better off than they were beforehand. So that's why I would say I don't believe giving back is the correct term. What is the correct term? Whatever you want it to be, charity or or giving or sharing or community involvement. And again, we believe totally in them. But I, I don't think giving back is the correct term. Now, is there ever a time? where the term giving back is appropriate. Yeah. I'll just give you an example that someone shared with me without mentioning names. Guy I know had a a sister who was a single mom and her son, basically, I mean, where they live, the local big brothers, big sisters organization, I mean, practically helped her raise the kid. Okay. I mean, they were wonderful. Well, he ended up being a great athlete. He played pro basketball for a number of years, made a lot of money, and he then Gave and I would say and gave back to the Big Brothers Big Sister. He received something from them first. He gave back. I think that's a, you know a totally legitimate use for the word. So the reason I don't like to say give back, even though oh, what's the big deal? I think it is because when we say give back, it implies that the business really didn't make their money legitimately. That's why they have to give back to you know assuage their conscience, their guilty conscience for no. If business is done right, everyone profits along the way. If you want to take some of that money as much as you want and do great things with it for the community, again, we recommend it. We just wouldn't say giving back. And I love that. When we first spoke, you mentioned that about
0: the abundance mindset that comes with giving versus maybe a scarcity tactic that can come with giving back. Right. And that you have to receive it first. And I just love the way you framed that. So that's why oh, I wanted to start this about that because it was so beautifully put. And I've actually started doing that more of saying just like, I'm just giving, not giving back because I uh, just want to do it. Okay. And so I love that. But diving into this incredible you know, book series that you've written and, and everything around The Go-Giver, if you haven't listened to it yet, I've listened to it probably you know five or six times now because the principles in it are how I've built my business and my life is just all around giving and supporting others. Do you believe that givers are naturally born or do you think it's
1: a principle that they get taught? Oh, wow. That, you know, it's a great question. And I think it's like anything else in that we can have a tendency towards something, a nature towards something, but there's also the part where it's developed. So as an example, you have a an athlete, you have a hockey player, or, you know, have a young kid who seems to, you know, put a stick in his hand at three years old. And, you know, he's Bob Yore. You know, I mean, he just this guy just he seems to have right. Yeah. But if that's it and nothing else, he has no further training or experience, he's probably not gonna be a great hockey player. Okay. Yeah. Now take that kid who has that instinctive, you know, ability, that tendency teach him how to play and wow, you know, and that he could be really something he or she could be really something. And, and that's right. I, I think it's the same. Uh, now, you and I, it sounds like you and I both had parents that set a great example yep. for us. Or, you know, are you and I naturally people who would want to focus on giving value to others? Well, I don't know what you probably are. I don't know if I am or not, but I was certainly raised that way. So I think it probably has something to do with both. I mean, because let's face it, you also have people in families who are brought up by the same parents and one goes one way and one goes the total opposite way. So I would say it's probably, you know, it's probably both. Yeah, This is a
0: good transition to my next question then is once you pick up the go-giver mentality and and you just want to provide value to everybody, right? You just become a natural born giver and anywhere you go, you want to almost be in a 51-49 relationship, right? I want to be providing you more value than to lead with. Once you pick that up, you start to recognize people that maybe don't have the same mentality that might be a taker, right? They like to take a little bit more in. How do you start having conversations with people in your circles, and your team, and your world to start getting them on the track to becoming a go-giver versus mm-hmm. a taker where they maybe haven't heard of this concept before? They don't understand some of the laws that you've created. How can they start opening those conversations to people around them to become go-givers and see the value
1: of leading with giving? There are a couple of aspects of this. And by the way, I I love what you said about takers. We call them go-takers. See a lot of pe- people think well the opposite of a go giver is a go getter. No, not at all. We love go getters. Go getters take action. Action is very very important. You can have all the you know the best ideas, the nicest thoughts, the best of intent, but unless action is put into the mix, nothing's going to happen. So combine a go getter, a person of action with a go giver, someone who's absolutely totally laser focused on providing immense value to others. That's powerful. We'd say the opposite of a go-giver again is a go-taker. That's that person who's totally focused on themselves and on the take, and it's take, take, take without having added value to the person, to the process, to the situation. Now, very quick, most go-takers are frustrated because they're not nearly as successful as they wish they were and think they should be. But what about those who are? OK, now what happened there can be because you can have someone who just can work so hard or has some kind of skill set that works in the marketplace where they're giving value despite themselves, even though they don't really care to be. OK, yeah. or they invent something, you know, there's something about. But it's tough. It is tough to have a sustainably Successful business as a go taker because you don't really have relationships. People don't like and trust you. And so it's very doable, it's difficult. And also go takers, even if they're sustainably successful in business, tend to have horrible personal relationships for obvious reasons. Okay. (laughs) So then you say, okay, how do you have someone on your team who kind of is a go-taker by nature? Doesn't mean they're a bad person, by the way. It means they may not know about they haven't heard. about, you know, I think of all the people who, when I was growing up, give me advice, like you got to be ruthless. If you're going to be, you know, big <laughs> in business, right. Uh, you know, uh, I remember working for a, a manager of a convenience store I was working at. So he was like, he was the nicest guy, but he told me, you know, Bob, if you're going to be successful, you got to be ready to step on people's So I thinking, where did he learn this stuff? You know? So, <laughs> but that is how some people operate. And again, it's a big world. People do things. But most of us know it's so much easier to be successful as a go-giver. So if you're showing someone this, if you're trying to educate someone on this, this is first where the relationship comes in. Because if they know, like, and trust you, they're much more likely to be open to your ideas. But even then, we've got to approach it in such a way that they come to their own conclusion. So let's say you have a salesperson on your team. And this salesperson is, you know, I'm going after that money and that that's the sales, all that counts. I want that commission. I want that money. Okay. Now, so we say to this person and we'll, we'll use me right here. I am that salesperson and I need the money. This go-giver stuff about focusing on others. That's fine once I have the money, but right now I need the money and, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Now, first, there's a, a key point we all need to understand. And, and I think everyone listening to this does. And, and I often say this when I speak at sales conferences, and that is, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Mm. Okay. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money. And they're not even going to buy from you just because you're a nice person. They're going to buy from you because they believe that they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. Okay. So we have that premise in mind. We have that understanding. Dale Carnegie and how to win friends yeah. and influence people said great book. ultimately yeah. Ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. Okay. That's human nature. And we need to understand that truth of human nature. And that's fine. This is great news for the go-giver who is focused on bringing value to others. So let's go back to our example. I'm the salesperson. You're the prospective customer. I need the money. My goal is to get that money from you, your pocket into mine, right? So I go in there and, you know, we meet and I ask some questions because I've been trained to ask questions, but I'm not really listening to try to understand your needs, wants, desires, your challenges, your fears, your hopes, your no, I'm asking these questions, looking for a way to take your answers and sharp angle you into a close. Yeah. Okay. When you have an objection, yeah, I'm going to answer it, but I'm a little defensive because, you know, your objections, Randy, are getting in the way of my money. And rather than diving in and getting to the core of the objection, I'm going to just give you the standard answer that I learned during training on how to answer this, right? I'm going to close often and early. And, you know, by the time I ask you for the order, do you really feel that I have your best interest at heart? Are you more likely or less likely to want to do business with me right now? Way less likely. Yeah, way less likely. And I think anyone would say that, okay? Now, same person, okay? I still need the money, but I'm going to do something. First, I'm not going to deny my self-interest because first, as a human being, I'm self-interested. So are you, yeah. so is everyone. It's how our cave person ancestors pass their genes along to the next, you know, yeah. to the next. It just, yeah, okay. But here's the thing and here's where maturity comes in here's where leadership comes in okay i'm not going to deny my self interest but i am going to temporarily suspend it i'm going to put it to the side where it belongs because it's all about the other person okay again not just being nice it's because this is how this person's going to buy if it's about them not about me okay yep. so even for selfish reasons place their interests before ours. So now I go in and I ask you these questions, but now I'm, and you can tell, I'm listening to you. I'm wanting to understand everything about you that I need to know to be able to help you. And not only do I listen to your answers, but I ask, I tactfully and gently ask clarifying questions to make sure I understand what you're saying, because I know that we all come from different sets of beliefs and even different words can have different meanings. And you feel... Secure in the fact that I'm wanting to make sure I know what you need, want, and desire. Okay. It's only after I'm sure I know these needs, wants, and desires that I match, start to match the benefits of my product or service with those. When you have an objection, I welcome it. And I assure you that it's a great question because we need to make sure you feel comfortable with this if we're going to to help you in this way. And so what we do is rather than just trying to give an all-encompassing answer, we work together to go deep and discover the actual objection, okay? And then we discuss together in order to advance the process. You know, now at the the end of our conversation, by the time I ask you for the order, okay, okay, are you more likely or less likely to say yes, because you know I have your well-being at heart? More likely. Sure, and I think most people know that. So when you explain it this way by allowing this current go-taker to come to the conclusion that they're actually much better off being a go-giver, they're gonna be more likely to take that. Now, here's the, the cool thing. As they start to do this, they're gonna be much more successful And they're going to feel so much better about themselves and they're going to find that they love the fact that the way they are able to reach abundance is as a result of helping other people.
0: That's so good. That's a whole principle that I adopted into my, I don't even call it my sales process, but just my everyday conversation is, you know, I always try and ask for somebody about them as opposed to waiting for them to ask about me. So, hey, sure. Bob, tell me a little bit about yourself and what's going on. I let you talk. And as you're talking, I'm asking questions, but I'm trying to find who can I introduce you to? So I built a very robust network. And mm-hmm. I'm, all I'm thinking is, who can I introduce you to? It cost me nothing. And all I have to do is listen, find out what your needs are. And as you finish talking, like, hey, Bob, I've got two or three people that I can introduce you to. When we're done this call, I'd love to make those intros for you. They're going to be X, Y, and Z for you. Now, you on your turn are going, whoa, I don't even know anything about you. And you're already introducing me to people. Now I've got them bought in. And now they ask me about what I do. I share about it, my products and services. And then I ask them if they'd like to work with me. Now, if they work with me or not, I don't care. But what I've done is provided value to them. Mm -hmm. Everybody in that circle, just it's like a roundabout circle. Now I've just added somebody else to my network. Uh I've got this huge thing. And it's, so what I want to go with this question is this perceived value of giving first, or, you know, leading with value. It doesn't even have to be something big, you know, building a big network. And that's what we talk a little bit about in the Go-Giver is that, you know, the the network you build can be your giving nature of just making an introduction or introducing somebody. So people that are starting out that want to be like I I want to start leading with value. I want to become a go-giver. What are some of the simple
1: principles or easy ways that they can start giving first in relationships? So first it's during that initial conversation and you know you talked about that it, it's focusing on that other person. I always say that one of the things I learned when I was first in sales 40 years ago and I was, you know, on the phone, this is this thing we used to have way before the computers, you know, took over and we used to actually have to build relationships on the phone <laughs> yeah. and and all this stuff on the, on the phone. And what I found out very early is that nobody ever hung up the phone on me while they were talking. Yep. Really amazing, right? If I'm talking about myself, my products, my services, ah, you know, they they want off. If they're talking about themselves, they're engaged, right? So when we first meet someone, and it could be where whether it's on Zoom, whether it's on the local uh, charity event or business mixer or wherever it happens to be, when you can ask that person questions about themselves, questions I call feel-good questions because they're not salesy, prospecting, intrusive, invasive. They're just questions that, that make this person feel genuinely good about themselves. You know, it's asking a person a simple question like, how did you get started as a whatever, you know, and people love to answer that question. It's not a slick question. It's not a clever question. In fact, it's pretty mundane. How did you get your start as an accountant or how did you get started as a, you know, whatever? But people love to answer that question. Why? Because you're making them the story of the week, the movie of the week. You know, you're making them the issue as opposed to everyone else they meet who just right away starts talking about themselves, right? Now this person, you know, selling copying machines, has never asked how he got to tell his story, how he got started. Right. His own family has never asked him <laughs> to share his story. And here's you who he first met asking him to, right? A follow-up feel good question to that is, what do you enjoy most about your work? Uh, which, you know, is sort of flies in the face of so much sales teaching where we're supposed to immediately find this person's pain, you know, reach into their heart and tear it out, right? Oh, help them find their joy. Just get the relationship going. This is great adding value to them because they feel so good about it. And then asking a question, I call this the one key question that will distinguish you from the rest. And that is, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good potential client for you? Best question you could ever ask. Yeah, that's how you start by adding value. Now, following up with a personalized handwritten thank you note to that person. Is another way, connecting with this person on social media and re, well, I was going to say retweeting, re-Xing or reposting or on LinkedIn or commenting. And, and again, what you said, helping people meet one another, being a connector. And if you know, there's something that this person has a, a hobby, they're a, you know, they're a skier and you go on the internet and find an article on, you know, 10 tips to a better ski experience and you print it out and send it to them with a little note that just says, saw this on the internet, thought you might enjoy this. These are all things that you can do, just adding value and building a relationship, referring good people to other good people, all these things we can do. And you know, there's no real cost other than some thought and some time and some effort. 100%. One or two more quick questions here before we jump into our, our
0: rapid fire round and call us a wrap. But one of the, the things that I think so many givers Miss is the principle. Is one of the laws you talk about is is receptivity, where you have to be open to receiving. Mm-hmm. So many times, it's you want to provide value and provide value, you end up trying to put seventy five twenty five into relationships, and it almost gets to be too much. You have to be open to that receptivity right. of it. So walk us through a little bit of that principle of having to be open to receiving on the side, not just giving all the time. Oh sure,
1: I, you know John and I say it's like breathing out and breathing in it's not one or the other, right? It's both. You breathe out carbon dioxide, you also have to breathe in oxygen. You breathe out, which is giving, you breathe in, which is receiving. I think it's really, Randy, understanding that giving and receiving are not opposite concepts, even though the world around us continually, tries to give us this horrible anti-prosperity messages you're either a giver or a receiver that's a treacherous dichotomy that's a false dilemma the unnecessary use of the word or no it's an and you're a giver and receiver giving and receiving are two sides of the very same coin they work best in tandem but here's the thing that we know the focus needs to be on the giving Okay, then we allow the receiving, you know, John coined a great saying, money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning, which means the giving comes or the focus is on the giving of value. But then what we receive is a very natural aspect of that. So, you know, when we say the giving comes first, this is natural law. This is universal law. This is Economic law, it's it's the laws of the earth. We plant before we harvest, right? Yeah, it does yeah. not the object we sow before we reap, we give before we receive. So when we follow the five laws, when we're our focus is on the immense value we're providing another person, when we're looking to touch the lives of many people with that value, when we place that other person's interest first, yeah, not in a self sacrificial way, but in a way that benefits everyone involved, when we act congruently with our true authentic core and we open open ourselves to receiving, what we do is we create this benevolent context for success.
0: Yeah. That's so good. I loved everything about that. And that that law has been the hardest one for me to adapt because it is hard to want to receive. And when somebody wants to do something nice for you, You know, I just got married recently and one of the hardest things is accepting all the gifts that people wanted to and all the help and stuff. And so I practiced Mm -hmm. a lot of that in there of just, you know what, if you want to help me, this is how you can help me. And I really appreciate it because I know that that's the breathe in, breathe out. So that's great. (laughs) I'm going to throw a little bit of a different question at you now getting a little bit into more of my go big to give big and not giving back, but giving in my context of supporting charities and stuff. So you talk a lot about you know the no like and trust factor and how you build that by adding giving in. One of the things is we've seen companies like Tom Shoes or Bombas Socks they add a giving component into the transaction of their purchases. Yeah. Do you find that in the world of giver and stuff that you believe that adding that giving component into the transaction builds a no like and trust factor a little bit quicker compared to a company that doesn't have one?
1: Uh, You know, it it might, because I, you know, you hear a lot of people who will say that they want to do business with those companies who they know are doing something, you know, special and doing something extra and taking care. So I think that in that case, you know, the marketplace is saying, yeah, we're much more desirous of doing business with you when we know that you're also going above and beyond and taking care of others. You know, do I think it's a necessity to do that? No. But is it something that, you know, gives them the edge while, you know, do something really great for humanity? Sure. So, you know, to me, it's anything that accomplishes that is is certainly fantastic. Amazing. The final question before we get
0: into the giving round here, you have five principles or five laws. Which one is your favorite one
1: and why? So I would say it's the law of influence. And the law of influence says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Again, not in a way that's doormatty, not in a way that's martyrish, not in a way that's self-sacrificial, not at all. It's always in a way that builds everyone in the process. But when you place your focus on serving others, on bringing value, giving value to others, wonderful things happen. And again, nothing magical about it. It's because the fastest, most powerful, most effective way to elicit the know, like, and trust feelings toward you in others. And if you're someone who just enjoys seeing other people feel good about themselves or you know whatever, it's, it's very natural. So that tends to be my favorite law.
0: Amazing. As we open up what we call our giving round here, what is your favorite moment of giving that you've had personally in this experience? So maybe a moment where you're like, oh, I once did this thing that was really special to me. Like, take a minute and just brag on yourself of a favorite moment of giving that you've had personally. Are you talking about in terms of a charity and so forth? Anyone. It could be about the principles that you've talked about of, you know, writing a note for somebody that was really special. It could be about to a charity, just any moment in your life using the word giving that has been
1: special to you. You know, I mean, I'd say it's when I, on two levels, I think one is when I hear feedback that something I may have done touched someone in a way I didn't necessarily know it was gonna, which always says to me, we never know who needs what we have to offer. We just don't know because we don't know what another person's going through. So when you can assume the best in others, you know, when you can see someone who's a challenging personality is, you know, coming from a place of hurt or whatever, doesn't mean it excuses their behavior, but you can yeah, kind of, yeah. you know, you, you come to find out that what you said or did made a difference. That's That's a big deal for me. You know, as far as charity goes, it's those that, you know, they never know who the giver was or who the, you know, what have you, but they were touched by it. A couple of my charities are animal charities. So they obviously they don't know, but you know that it's done some good. So you feel good about, you know, yourself. I I think if you're doing charity right, it's one of the most selfish things you can do. Why do I say that? Because what you're doing is something congruent with your values. Mm. Right.
0: I love that. That's beautiful, amazing. Well, that's a perfect segue into our giving round here. Just some rapid-fire questions, quick answer, fun things. So, brag on one charity that you like.
1: Well, I do quite a bit of work with Operation Paws down uh, Operation Paw, excuse me, in South Florida. It's a it's a cat. Well, and dogs, although it's mostly cats. We have a big big issue with cats in South Florida, where it's it's rescue, span, neuter, foster, and rehome. You know, that's a favorite of mine. I also, you know, th- there's other ones that I support, but that's a main one I work with. Amazing.
0: I love that. What would get you more excited? Donating a million dollar check or spending a week physically helping others?
1: I've got to say, I'm more of a check writer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's something special about that. Enjoy.
0: Who inspires you with their giving?
1: Oh, goodness. I wish I had an answer for that. There's, there's, or people, who's a
0: lead go-giver that's in your life that's been kind of a model for the the concept for you as well?
1: To me, my dad, Allah mm-hmm. you know, he was just just fantastic in the way he focused on others and made people feel so good about themselves and just, you know, uh, everybody loved him because I think he loved everyone. So I, I had a great mom and dad, like you did, yep. you know. And so, you know, when we can have heroes like them, that's, uh, that's Absolutely. a huge. Beautiful. I love that. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the
0: words go big to give big?
1: Oh, I just, the first thing I think of is how much I just love the sound of that. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. That's the best answer yet. I love that.
0: In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give.
1: It would have to be three words. Good about myself.
0: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) The final question we got for you today, Bob, I really appreciate you coming in. I ask every guest this question, and it's always a different answer, and I'm excited to hear yours, but
1: do you believe that money can buy you happiness? So like many things, it's it's not really a soundbite answer. Money as a concept itself, in general, you know, it, it can't buy happiness, and we know that because there are lots of people with lots of money who aren't happy. Now, there are also lots of people with no money who also aren't happy. So I don't think money is supposed to buy you happiness. I think money is supposed to give you choices. Many of those choices can lead to a feeling of of happiness. I personally define happiness as a genuine and ongoing feeling of joy and peace of mind, the result of living congruently with one's values. Does money help you to live more congruently with your values? Sure. If your values are things that takes money to be able to do, and we live in a world in which money is a means of exchange that can help you do that. So I apologize for not being able to give you just a yes or no, does it buy happiness? Because I think it's the the, the very question it calls for a larger context.
0: That's a perfect answer. And I loved every second of it. And I've oh, loved thanks. this entire yeah. interview, Bob. It's been so good. And it's been a pleasure to get to interview you. And I want to give you a second now to brag on yourself. How can people find out more about the Gold Giver, this series, <laughs> what you got going on, some websites or anything that you're promoting right now?
1: Yeah, the easiest place is just Berg, B-U-R-G.com. While there, they can check out any of the books in the series and uh, get a chapter so they can see first if they like it. They can also subscribe to my daily impact emails that I put out Monday through Friday uh, early in the morning. Amazing. And is there anything
0: on your docket that's coming up in the near future that we can look forward to coming from the Bob Berg Life
1: brand? No, we, you know, we pretty much my business partner, Kathy Tage and, and I, you know, have a business that pretty steadily does, you know, I'm off the road speaking, so I don't try to get on a plane anymore to, to speak. <laughs> I still do keynotes, but they're always right here from the computer. <laughs> the, I mean, it's great from upstairs to here. Uh, we also have a team of certified Go-Giver speakers and we have our Go-Giver Success Alliance online mentorship community. We also do about five times a year. We do a Go-Giver Beyond the Mastermind retreat. It's in person, which is in, it's about a mile from here in Jupiter, Florida. <laughs> so I get to sleep in my own bed at night. It's held at a beautiful resort. So yeah, that's pretty much, and, and every uh, information about all of those is on the website if anyone's interested. Amazing. Well, thank you
0: so much, Bob. And thank you for being such an inspiration and such a good influence for the way that business should be done and how people should just be as humans with leading with giving, being of service and providing value first. So thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, delivering all that value for us.
1: Thank you, Randy. My pleasure.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of go big to get big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can. And it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.